All right, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, to challenge us, and to convict us. God, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're uh, finishing up Matthew chapter 11 this morning, starting with verse 25 through 30. It says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is talking to the multitudes here, and he's making some pretty bold statements. He's saying here, I've been talking to people who can and will hear me, and these people know that I'm the Father, and if they would just believe in me, they would have a better life. And here's, here's the subtext of this passage this morning. It's this sense that the biblical rest that we can experience is better than all the toil that we experience on this earth. And that truly everything that we toil for, toil for on this earth is meaningless. And if you don't understand what that word toil means, that means work. Jesus is saying, everything that you work for on this earth is meaningless compared to having a relationship with me. You cannot enter into the rest of Jesus if you have one leg in the world and half of your heart in the world. You're never going to do it. If you're sitting here this morning and saying, Man, my, my life is tumultuous, my life seems pressured, my life seems like I can't seem to find rest and I can't find peace, more than likely it's because part of your heart still loves the world, part of your body is still in the world. You have this idea of like, well, I want rest and I want peace, but I'm unwilling to put full trust and assurance in Jesus. And this has been the struggle of man for thousands of years. It's, it's not a new struggle. This isn't something that was invented this year where you guys say, oh, well, you know, it would have been easier if we lived in Bible times. That's not the truth at all. I don't, I don't know if, uh, does anybody know what my favorite book of the Bible is? Hey, who said it? Good job, Amanda. Good range. Ecclesiastes. And I love Ecclesiastes because it seems whenever I, I lose my way and I, I lose a perspective of where I need to be, I can sit down for a half an hour and I can read the book of Ecclesiastes and it brings me right back to where I need to be. Ecclesiastes starts out in chapter 1 and it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Some translations say meaningless. Vanities of vanities. All is vanity. All is meaningless. What profit has a man from all of his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes understood, and what Jesus speaks to the heart, is this idea that people will work for stuff, and then at the end, the stuff doesn't matter, and then all of a sudden they realize, why did I work for all of this? Dave, will you please shut that door to the AMC? We pay for air conditioning in that building. Um, 
And so the preacher says, you know what, if you want to find the value, if you want to find the meaning in this world, you have to understand that you cannot work for everything this world provides and think that it's going to give you the rest that you're looking for. You can't work for everything that the world provides and think it's going to give you this rest that you're working for. And the book of Ecclesiastes that had written thousands of years ago had that same mindset to say, you know what, man, I work for all this stuff, but somebody else gets it. I work for all this stuff and I find that it doesn't satisfy. I buy these things and I get these things and I do these things and it seems like I still don't find the peace that I'm looking for. And you ask yourself that question many times, whether it's in the small decisions, the big decisions. Will the things of this world satisfy me more than Jesus? Will they? And I don't know about you, but for me, have you ever worked for something that you wanted to buy and then you bought it and you realized it wasn't nearly as exciting once you bought it? You saved up and you were looking online and you researched it. You couldn't wait to buy it. And then you bought it and you're like, that's it? I thought it was going to do something for me. I thought it was going to satisfy something in me. And you played with it. You thought it was cool for a week or two. Then it just got set aside and you started looking for something else to buy. Looking for something else to satisfy that itch. That's really the ethos of the world, though. The ethos of the world is one that says, buy something and it will satisfy you. Experience something and it will satisfy you. Eat this and it will satisfy you. But it always leaves you wanting. It always, you always, there's, there's not enough of it to satisfy you to the point of where you don't need it again. But Jesus is just the opposite. I hope through this season that you've learned what you need and what you don't need. I really do. I love the end of Ecclesiastes where this to me is the bulk of it all. Ecclesiastes 12:13. At the end of Ecclesiastes it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so the answer to the meaningless nature of life is fear God and keep his commandments. And so the the Jewish people know this. They know Ecclesiastes. And Jesus speaks directly to these people's hearts. And and he says, you know what? I, I think that you've been toiling in a way that you've forgotten what satisfies. I think you've been working for something that that you thought that you could attain, but I want to share with you that you can take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You don't have to toil for the things of this world. You can experience peace like you've never experienced before. So at the beginning of this scripture, he starts out in verse 25, and it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Now, much like now, and this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is a right now book. It's not an old book. It's a right now book. Right now, there are many people that are educated and influential, and they they have this idea and this demeanor of, we know much better than you religious rubes and yokels. And it's really a feeling that they put out of like, I am, I'm smarter than you and I'm more educated than you and, and I'm not as stupid as you to believe these fairy tales that you believe in the Bible. And it's this sense from them that if we would just be as smart as them, we wouldn't need to have the crutch of spirituality and we could really live outside of this bondage that this, this book and this fairy tale of a Jesus has put upon us that keeps us from really experiencing life. 
And it was the same back then as it is now. And, and bless God in his infinite wisdom, he says, you know what? I'm not going to worry about these self-grandiose people who think they don't need me. I'm just going to go to those who are going to receive it. I'm going to go down and talk to those rubes and yokels in Auburn, Washington. People that don't know any better. But it really, I mean, have you guys ever had this experience where someone that you know from your family or work would say things like, well, if you knew what I knew or you had the education that I had, you wouldn't believe what you believe. You're just too stupid to know that they're taking advantage of you. One of the things I love about Christianity is it is a thinking man's religion. I know a bunch of Christian people that are 10 times smarter than me. People that are physicists and lawyers and doctors and, uh, you know, engineers and all these people that have letters after their name. And they they scrutinize the, the words of Jesus and they find hope in them because it's a real hope that can be found that isn't just limited to the people that got C's in high school like me. Where are my C people at? Bless Man, I love you guys. C's get degrees. Amen? Again, this has been a feeling from, from the beginning of time. Ezekiel 12, 2, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. This is historical normalcy. People who refuse to the simplicity of the call of God and live in a rebellion that they need not live in. Throughout the ages, there have been people that think that they're smarter than God. And the story is quite simple. God created you. He owns you. Live for him. But they reject that and they come up with all these convoluted stories to justify where they refuse to live for God. Jeremiah 5.21, hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes to see not and who have ears and hear not. And you ask yourself, why, why do people live this way? I will tell you, rebellion, selfishness. They don't want to submit to God and his ways. And, and here's the other part of it, is they love immorality. They love it. They truly do. And so any idea of, of having some, some being that they have to answer to or some moral standard that they need to answer to, it just infuriates them because intrinsically they know that they shouldn't be living the way that they're living. It's why it bothers them so much that there's churches and that there's Christians and that people live contrary to the way that the world lives because they hate the fact that there's a God that they have to answer to. David prophesied about this in Psalm chapter 8. He said, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Do you you what I love about God is that God has always gone to the underdog. God has always gone to the outcast. He's he's always gone to those fringe people, those broken people, the the people that can't seem to find a home, those people that have been outcast from every other social circle. And Jesus says, "You know what? I am I am pulling you into my circle. I'm I'm pulling you into my family." Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. It's why uh, David said the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. He wants to give sight to the blind and liberty to those that are oppressed. And so for those of us that find ourselves feeling as though we're in bondage to the ways of this world, the offer of Jesus is come to me and you will be set free. 
And bless God, we know Jesus. Amen. It really is the greatest thing in this world. And, and if you're here today, and, and, and there's two types of people that are here today, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, man, bless God that I know Jesus. Bless God that he knows me and that I'm in a relationship with you. And if you can understand what I'm saying this morning, that means that you are not blinded. Praise God. Amen. I'd be excited about that. But if you find yourself sitting here this morning and you hear wah, 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 that means that you, you may be blinded to the things of Jesus. And you should cry out to God this morning and say, Lord, would you help me to see what this dude is talking about? This, this preacher with fantastic hair. See, I used to be a shaved head preacher, but now I'm that guy with the fantastic hair. You know, Pastor Matt, the guy with the hair. Not sure it's going to last, but you guys will rue the day that you said I was bald. All right. Many Jewish people and Gentiles couldn't see through their rebellion. And that, that, that's, it's why the, the preaching of the gospel is so important is because the preaching of the gospel is the way in which the veil is lifted. It's the way in which, so, and, and it happened to all of us. Typically we were hearing a gospel message and the veil was lifted from our eyes and we were like, oh my goodness, Jesus is God and I have to live for him and I have to submit to him. And that's why it's so important to hear gospel preaching. 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains uplifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. People got saved from the reading of the Old Testament, amen? They could see Jesus through that. And friend, we must continue to speak the truth of Christ so that more people can have the veil lifted and see the truth of who Christ is. So that they can see what he can do and what he can provide for them. We cannot give up on this edict. Let me let me show you a scripture from 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, it says this. It says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Does that sound familiar? And I want you to, you're not listening, because I want you to hear this in the context of today. This isn't, the, this isn't for 2,000 years ago. This is today. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And so for us that are enlightened or the veil is lifted or people that know better, it's why you have that inner angst and frustration when you watch somebody on television or you meet somebody that can't see it is because you have seen something they can't see. You understand something they can't understand. They are literally blinded to the things of God and that's why it frustrates you because they can't understand what you're talking about. Do you, do you guys remember uh, way back when they used to uh, have shopping malls? Back back in the early 2000s, and and in these the shopping malls were these large buildings with individual stores that people used to go to, and there was this period of time where they had those pictures that you look at 
and then you have to like make your eyes go crazy, and then all of a sudden you could see the picture do something else. Please help me out. Do you guys remember these things? Right? And, and they, they would have them, be, and there would be like dozens of these things, and people would be walking by and like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a cow in a field, and oh my gosh, it looks like an eagle flying. Now, there's two types of people. There's people that can see those things and people that can't see those things. How many of you, by show of hands, could see what those things were? All right, put your hands down. Now, how many people were spiritual and can only see Jesus and couldn't see a thing about those? Damn Come on, anybody else help me out? Can anybody else never see them? I'm just seeing who's really saved. All right. I could never see those. Crystal would be like, honey, you, you've got to be able to see this thing. And I would just sit there this, and she's like, you have to not look so hard. And I'd be like, I remember one time I, she was like, I'm just going to go shop. I'm going to leave you here. And I'm stand, I, I, I probably stood there for 15 or 20 minutes. And I don't know, maybe I'm just too smart for it. Maybe I, I can't look through it, whatever. I think it's really a lie. I, I think that all of you got together and were working. You never really saw anything. You never saw a thing. You just told people that you saw you know, the rest of us feel like we're not smart enough. I never saw anything. Bless God we can see Jesus. We're not stuck in some nameless mall trying to figure out what everybody else says that it's supposed to look like. But if you find yourself watching the world and seeing what it does and wonder, why can't they see it? Why can't they see what we have? Why, why don't they know the Jesus that we know? Why, why can't they just accept forgiveness and live for Jesus? Why can't they worship him and just go tell others? The Bible has an answer to it in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Friend, we're living in an age where some people are just blinded. We're living in a time where some people have given themselves over to a delusion, and, and we're, we're beating ourselves, uh, or excuse me, beating our heads against the wall and saying, why can't they and why won't they? Because they're just deluded, man. They just can't see it. And until the God of, of, of the Bible reveals it to them, and then until the veil gets lifted to their eyes, they're just not going to be able to see it. They need the preaching of the gospel to be able to see it. They're not just going to magically come to that point. This is why in Acts 26 it says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, it's why I preach the gospel most Sundays. I want you to bring your friends. I want you to bring your coworkers. I want you to trick people into coming here so that they could hear the gospel. Tell them, say, you know, man, I want to take you out to lunch on Sunday. They say, what time are you going to pick me? I'm going to pick you up at 1040. You pick them up at 1040, like, hold on, we got to stop by somewhere before we go to lunch. You guys want to go to breakfast? Great. I'll pick you up at 845. Because all of us, we heard the gospel at some point and it opened up our eyes. That's what we have and we want others to have and experience this freedom in Christ. We want them to experience joy overflowing. Here's the other part of this scripture is that if you know Jesus, you know the Father. And, And this is an important part of knowing Jesus and this is an important distinction. Knowing Jesus 
is knowing the Father. And it's important because God wants to know you through Jesus. And and uh, he, here's here's what happens is that when we come together and I preach, a lot of times you you may have been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years, and I tell you that Jesus is God, and you say, well, yeah, man, of course, I've heard that hundreds of times, I know that. But you have to realize there's newly saved people that attend our church. There's first-time attenders that attend our church that don't realize that Jesus is God. They see him as a separate being. They see him as as, as not God. He's the son of God. And I don't have time to go into all the different titles and what they mean. But it's a very important distinction to know that Jesus actually is God in the flesh. Verse 26, even so, Father, so for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, to whom the to the one to whom the Son wills to reveal to him. Now what does that all mean? It's very easy. Jesus is God. That's what it is. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Let, let me show you in, in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, it says this. Whoop. It's a lot easier when I have the screen behind me. I don't have to turn it. John 14, 6, uh, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. If you were at the men's advance, you you learned a lot about the Trinity from Pastor Tim's message, and it was a great message. And I think that understanding the nature and character of Jesus is an important distinction because it helps us to understand when we're reading the Bible and we see red words that it's God himself talking to us. It's important because we understand that the God of the Bible is Jesus is in the Old Testament. I think it's important because we understand that Jesus is in Genesis and he's in Revelation and he's in Jeremiah and he's in Isaiah. He's all over the thing. And so if you separate Jesus from the Father, you're not going to understand truly what God is trying to do in your life. Amen? Amen. If you want to know who God is, get to know who Jesus is and then you'll know who God is. Loving, caring, forgiving, serving, teaching, rebuking, comforting, leading, protecting and providing. If Jesus were not God... He couldn't have said, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He never could have said that if he wasn't God. He couldn't have ever said, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows uh, who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and to whom the Son wills to reveal him. He never could have said, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now, why is this an important part of the message? And this is why I love preaching through the books of the Bible. Is as we go through, doctrine comes up. 
as we go through, we, we stop and we rest, we look at it, we internalize it, so that we can learn what God wants us to know. It's not just what God wants us to do, it's what God wants us to know, it's what he wants us to believe. And so, I want you this morning, as you hear about Jesus being God in the, uh, God in the flesh, is I want you to internalize and defend that Jesus is God. I want you to know that inside of your spirit. And why is that important? It's important because Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God. And so when you when you talk to a coworker, you talk to a friend and they say, "Well, well I'm a Christian, I'm a Mormon." You're like, mm, "No. You're not you're not a Christian. Why are you not a Christian? Because you don't believe the orthodox truth of Jesus being God in the flesh." Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe this either. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They're not Christians. And it's important to be able to defend this. Muslims have uh, uh, stories about Jesus in the Quran, but they do not believe that Jesus is God. They just thought that he was a prophet. They thought that he was a teacher. And so as you endeavor to bring people to Jesus, as you endeavor to have people have the veil lifted from their eyes, part of it is having the knowledge to understand that people that are out there do not believe what you believe about who God is. Jesus was not a good moral teacher. He, he was not a, a, a one way. He's not an additional Buddha. Or he's, he's not just some guy that had a lot of good sayings. He is God in the flesh. And because he was God in the flesh... It demands that we should submit to him as God himself. It's why Jesus is so central to our faith. That's why we can sing about Jesus and to Jesus and we can worship Jesus because he is God. Colossians 2.9 said, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And, there, and you may know this, but there's many people that do not know this. And, and, and to be able to defend it and know it and internalize it and tell people, well, the reason why my life has been changed by the teachings of Jesus is because Jesus is God. God, God sent Jesus and Jesus was 100% God and he was 100%, 100% man. If you say, how is that possible? Well, if you're God, you can be a shapeshifter. That's just how it is. <laughs> and so when you say you want a relationship with God, but you don't want a relationship with Jesus, you're saying you don't want a relationship with God. And so when you meet people and they say, well, I, I, I have a relationship with God, but I, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, then you don't have a relationship with God. I, I have a relationship with God, but I have some problems about what Jesus taught. Well, then you don't have a relationship with God. 1 John 2.23 says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is why we can worship Jesus and follow him and do what he says and believe in him for salvation. If, if Jesus were not God, he could not have been holy enough to pay for our sins. He just couldn't. Uh, let, let me give an example real quick with a story. And, and some of you may have heard this example. And it, it wasn't my example. I learned it years ago. There's a story of a guy who is sitting in his house and... The birds were smacking against his window. Have you ever had a bird smack against the wind in your house? And sometimes birds will do that in the winter because they feel the heat of the house and they want to go to the heat. And this man was sitting in his living room and, and he realized that birds kept hitting because it was a wintry day. There was snow outside. And there was these birds that were trying to get into his house through the window. And he went outside and he opened up his garage and he was trying to get the birds to go into the garage and not into the house so that they could have a safe place to stay away from the winter storm. And he, and he went out there, and every time he went outside, the birds would fly away as he was trying to shoo them into the garage. 
So over and over he went out and then finally he went inside and he told his wife, he said, you know, if I could just be a bird for a moment, I could show them the way to safety. Just for a moment, I could show them the way to safety. Friends, Jesus came to show us the way to the Father. That's what he did. He came because he wanted us to see how to follow God and how to submit to God and and praise God we're not blinded and praise God that we know the truth. But we need to follow him because of it. Here's the third part of this scripture is that knowing Jesus is the easy burden. Would you would you hear the word of the Lord this morning that Jesus wants to take care of you? That Jesus wants to take your burdens? You know, this this week as I was working on this sermon and uh I'm just going to be frank with you, just between you and me. Is that okay? Over the last few weeks and months, I've been somewhat overwhelmed with everything that's going on around us. This may not apply to you, but hear me out. I know that many of you are just like, Pastor, none of it bothers me whatsoever, and my life hasn't been adjusted at all. Our family never talks about anything having to do except the Bible. That's all we talk about. I, on the other hand, there's buzzwords that all of a sudden when people are talking about it, I want to get in there and be like, and you know another thing? And do you know what the Constitution said? And there was this study and I read this article and what they don't understand about lit. Is anybody else with me? Okay. All right. So maybe this is for you as well. And then as I began to reflect, and this is what's great about the Lord making me go through books of the Bible and preach through it is that I was preparing this message this week, and, I, and, and part of what a preacher has to do is that a preacher has to internalize the message before they can deliver the message. God, God has to wrestle with me and get my heart right before I can come and I can share it with you because I don't want to preach to you what I don't have in my heart already. I don't, I don't want it to just be words. I want it to be something that God has done inside of me. And, and as I've been walking through the last few months and, and overwhelmed with all of this other stuff that I'm sure many of you get overwhelmed with as well, the, the, the still small voice of the Lord jumped off the page as I was going through to prepare this sermon. He's like, whose yoke are you carrying, man? Like, are you, are you really appropriating what I promised you? I promised you victory over this world. I promised you peace in the midst of trials. I promised you joy overflowing. I've I've given you so much and I've done so much and and I've given you this easy yoke. But for some reason, son, you want the heavy yoke. You want to be overwhelmed with the world. You want to be worried about what the future holds. Have Have I not taken care of you thus far? He said, you know, you you had my easy yoke, but some reason something happens and they put some cloth on your face and you're like, oh, heavy yoke. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know about this means more to me now than it's ever meant to me in my entire life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this, this is a multi-layered type of thing because when Jesus was speaking this to his audience, he, he's not just talking about their feelings. He's talking about their doctrine and they're talking about the way that they work. And he's talking about the toiling of Ecclesiastes. He's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system. 
Hebrews 10.11, it says, and, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Friend, the, the ongoing process of paying for sins in the Old Testament was too much for anyone to handle. Yeah. And at this point in the story, Jesus is talking to these Jews that have been living under this burden for thousands of years. And, 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 and for us that walk in the forgiveness of Jesus, that can have a bad day or a bad week or a bad afternoon and immediately go to the throne of grace and be like, oh, Jesus, I did it again. Forgive me. And Jesus goes, all right, I'll forgive you. Like, we have no idea of what it would look like to always have to go to the priest and always have to go to the temple and always have to kill an animal and always have to burn some grain and have to wait for the Day of Atonement. And to live under this pressure of being dead in our transgressions and dead in our sins and waiting for an external thing to happen to be set free from our sin. Can you imagine what that would be like, never having full freedom? Never being fully forgiven? Always thinking that there was one thing that you got wrong. Because that one, that one year when the priest went in and he dropped dead and they pulled him out by a rope attached to his leg because the priest wasn't holy enough to atone for your sins. If you're living in that type of system and Jesus stands up before you and says, you a man, I want you to take my way upon your life. I don't want you to have to live underneath this old system anymore. You don't have to live underneath that sacrificial system. I, for one, would be excited about that. I'd be really excited about that. See, when Jesus said in John 19, 30, it is finished, he meant what he said. As Christians, this, this burden of yearning and working and striving through the Old Testament is no longer what we have to do. Amen. And so Jesus takes this enormous burden, this enormous burden, and he says, you know what, the only burden I'm going to put on you is the burden of belief and submission. I'm not going to put blood and repetition on you. And so when Jesus stands up and he says, take my yoke upon you, he's talking about the easy yoke of belief and losing the heavy yoke of the sacrificial system. The second burden that he's talking about is this burden of direction. See, this word picture that Jesus uses here of yoke, and, and I, don't, I, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up on the mean streets of Ballard. But for some of you that grew up on a farm, you probably know a lot about farming. I don't. I learned a lot because I was reading about it this week. <laughs> But but a yoke, if you don't know what it is, a yoke is a big wooden uh, thing that they put on ox, right? And they typically have two of them, and so it's it's a firm piece of wood, and then it's got metal that comes underneath, and then you put the 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 ox's head through there with another ox, and then the two of them are together. They're yoked together. They're equally yoked. And so the two of them go together and and they both have to go in the same direction. If they're not both going in the same direction, they just don't get anything done. And so what, what Jesus is doing here in Jesus style is he used the example of the day that they're an agrarian society and they do farming. And so for him to, 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 to use this example and, and, and say a yoke, what he's saying indirectly and directly is, if you're an animal that's under a yoke, you're being led and you're given direction. And if you're a hardworking beast of burden, the burden's going to be heavy. But instead of having a heavy burden, why don't you come to me and then I'm going to give you good direction. Amen. 
And you can see immediately that if you lived in this society and you saw animals that had a yoke on, you would immediately understand the idea of being on the yoke with Jesus would give you better direction than being on the yoke by yourself. See, people get this idea that he says, take my yoke upon you, that this this idea of Jesus having his yoke and putting it on you and then you're a workhorse. No, he's saying, my yoke is a yoke that we're going to be there together. I don't know about you, but if I had to be yoked up with somebody, I want to be yoked up with Jesus. If I have to be on a pull team, if I have to be out there working in the fields, like, who you got today? Who you were, man? I'm working with Jesus. That's who I'm yoked up with today. Yoked with Jesus means a load being pulled by God himself. The toiling, the the, the working, like all these other ideas. And, and, And I want you to ingest this word picture because some of you, like myself, have been toiling under this emotional pressure for far too long. And you're pulling it by yourself instead of saying, you know what? Jesus promised I could put on the yoke with him and the yoke would be easy. It wouldn't be a burden. And this, this, this burden that Jesus is talking about when he talks about this yoke is, is, is this burden of transformation. Yeah. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I did learn this. You got, here's what happens is that I go before God and I research this stuff out and then I feel like I'm about to bop, drop a bomb on him today. <laughs> and then I share something that was a huge revelation and someone's like, Psh, I knew that. <laughs> I said, C's get degrees. What I realized this week, and I didn't know this, is that you've got an ox and you got a cow, right? Yes? Help me out here. And up until this week, I thought that a cow and an ox were completely different species. Is anybody else's mind getting blown this morning? See, I figured you have a cow, you have a yak, and you got an ox. But that's not what an ox is. What an ox is, it's a normal cow that has been trained to become a beast of burden that can pull a plow. Yeah, thank you. The young people didn't know it. Fantastic. Now, be honest with me. Did did anybody else not know that 